Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. I'm Ryan Lightfoot-Brown and today I'm joined by Charlie Dutton, the Elite Rated Manager of the 91 Asia-Pacific Franchise Fund. Charlie, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. Now, trade tensions between the US and China still seem to be an issue despite the leadership change in the former. Um, does this concern you at all and what are the implications of this for wider Asia? Sure. I mean, trade tensions between the US and China aren't going to go away. And yeah, they're going to be brought up for all sorts of reasons going forward, whether it's um, confrontation around Hong Kong, around Taiwan, uh, around the, the Uyghurs. Yeah, there's going to be continual confrontation between um, the two countries going forward. Having said that, they are incredibly dependent on each other in terms of trade. And I was reading the other day that you had just under half a trillion dollars of trade between the two countries in 2020. And actually, it grew by around 8% in 2020. So despite COVID, you've seen considerable growth there. Um, what it means in terms of an investment side, though, is that you need to make sure that you are in businesses which are going to have less concern around that trade regulation going forward uh, and also yeah, aren't going to be involved in, in trade spats. And I think that's one of the things that we really focus on as a fund is making sure that we are as far as possible in stocks which uh, won't have that trade concern going forward. If that's less of a concern, um, what would you say to investors who are considering investing in Asia this year? What are sort of the plus points? Sure, I, you know, when you when you look at Asia and you look at where economic growth is is theoretically going to come from going forward, um, yeah, Asia is a, is a massive driver of that. Um, and it's not just China, but it's India as well. And you're looking at Korea, you're looking at Taiwan, you're looking at the whole of, of ASEAN. And yeah, you've got the the old adages in terms of the demographics which are coming through. But importantly, a lot of these countries are going through that critical stage where they're moving from uh, low-income countries to, to middle-income countries. And you're seeing that particularly coming through in terms of the consumer um, sectors, and you're seeing this massive growth in consumption across the region. And what that is providing is fantastic investment opportunities on, on the consumer side, but it's also playing itself out into other, what we call structural areas rather than cyclical areas. So you know, when you're looking at the healthcare sector, when you're looking at the IT sector, yeah, these are business, these are areas, sectors, country, uh, companies, which are growing irrespective of the economic cycle. And I think that's what's exciting about uh, particularly the way we like to invest is that we're not looking at Asia as you know, beta on, on the world's economy, that we think the world is going to grow, therefore Asia is going to grow more. But you're actually able now to find investments within Asia, which are growing independent of the economic cycle. They're growing because of that consumption phase coming through, because of what's happening in healthcare, because of what's happening in IT. And given you mentioned IT, you've got more than half the fund in sort of technology and the consumer companies. Are those the are those sort of specific themes, or is it tied into that sort of growing uh, middle classes in the region? But again, it, it ties into the philosophy of the fund. That, you know, that we apply this quality investment philosophy, and and one of the you know, number of the areas that we look at there is we we look at kind of five key attributes, and, and the first one there is trying to find hard to replicate um, you know, competitive advantages. And when you say consumer and IT and you look at consumer brands or you look at IT network effects, they are very, very hard to, to actually compete against. But one of the other aspects we're also looking at is businesses which are independent of the economic cycle. I don't want to have to turn around and, and look at uh, my investors at the end of the year and say, I'm sorry, the, the fund hasn't done so well this year because we thought oil was going to go to $60 and it's actually at $40 or that Chinese GDP growth is 4% and we thought it was going to be 6%. We're trying to find those businesses which are growing independent of that 
and have that structural growth. Now, the sectors which we therefore focus on do have that structural growth. And as you say, that's why we do have a large proportion of the fund within in consumer and IT, but also um, the healthcare sectors. Oh, interesting. Thank you. Um, when we talk to Asian managers, we hear a lot about sort of the Chinese and the Indian companies, two economies that dominate the area. But you've got a holding or two in Vietnam. Um, can you tell us about those sort of more periphery um, stocks, maybe any other countries that you've got in the, in the periphery of Southeast Asia? Yeah, exactly. A great question, Ryan. And it actually brings it um, brings out the real philosophy of the fund and where we're looking at this. You know, the, the real onus we're looking on um, within Asia-Pacific franchise, uh, the fund we're talking about today, is that yeah, we're looking at this emergence of quality in, in Asia and this great investment universe, which is now applicable um, to, to Asian investors. Um, interestingly, though, when you're looking at ASEAN in particular, there hasn't really been that emergence of quality yet. And, and the reason for that is that those economies tend to be uh, a little bit more um, volatile. Um, the politics in some of those uh, economies as well can be a little bit more volatile as well. Um, and the result is that you haven't really had the emergence of those quality sectors that the healthcare, consumer, IT that you have, let's say, in Korea, Taiwan, uh, India and, and China. Having said that, if we we're having this conversation in five years time, Ryan, I would expect there to be significantly higher proportion of the fund within ASEAN. Uh, you're right at the moment, and, and that's therefore reflected in the fund itself in terms of the holdings, that our only ASEAN position currently is actually within a company called Vietnam Dairy, uh, which is within Vietnam. But again, it shows all those attributes that I've just mentioned in terms of hard to replicate competitive advantages, fantastic structural tailwinds, very, very strong governance, excellent cash flow dynamics. Uh, and we believe that's a business we're very comfortable on in terms of a, a long duration uh, investment prospect. And thinking maybe sort of the other side of things, you've got a, uh, a couple of holdings in um, some countries that you wouldn't expect to see in an Asia fund. So some Dutch, some US, even some Finnish companies in there. What's their link to Asia? Sure. So the, the, the approach I take to investing in Asia is that, you know, I think the, the, the clients or, or potential clients who are, who are listening to this call um, are looking at, uh, you know, they want to see what can they, what exposure can they get to companies which are growing because of what's happening within Asia. And that doesn't always mean that it's just Asian-listed companies or, or, or stocks which have, you know, as I say, listings with, within the Asian um, domiciles. So outside of that, I also look for companies which I think have very high levels of revenue exposure or have a significant part of their business, which I think is going to be the driver of their share price going forward. So you know, we have a, uh, a Finnish elevator manufacturer called Kone, now, Kone is 50% of its revenue is from China. Yeah, that is the key part of the investment case of where Kone is going to go. It's a fantastic business, very high levels of recurring income, and is very levered to uh, economic growth continuing um, in, in China. Yeah, we also own a company called ASML, which is a Dutch-listed um, semiconductor uh, equipment manufacturer. Now, 80% of its revenues come from Samsung and from ta uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing. So if you're looking at those types of businesses, we thought, well, rather than just owning the semiconductor manufacturers themselves, why not own the key uh, equipment manufacturer who's actually going to benefit from the, the required increase in computing power globally going forward? So I think what it adds to the portfolio is a, is a slightly more diverse uh, in terms of risk um, aspect uh, within the portfolio. Uh, and it means that actually we get to still get those very good returns from Asian growth going forward, 
uh, but also get the added benefits, both in terms of valuations, uh, but also can also be uh, improved corporate governance in some of those companies as well. Oh, interesting. Um, I just want to go back to something you said earlier on in the in the talk about the healthcare sector. Um, many investors, when they think of Asia, will think of it more as sort of a manufacturing hub for the world, um, and wouldn't consider sort of the healthcare sector. You've mentioned it a couple of times now. So, what's so attractive about that for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, as you said, it's, it's it's fascinating because you have you know I, I started investing in Asia or looking at companies in Asia twenty years ago, and and when I started doing that. It was exactly as you've just described, Ryan. It was about um, cyclical stocks. It was about the manufacturing sector. It was quite far down the the, um, the quality scale, or, or quite far down the the value chain as well. Whereas you roll forward to today, and you know, in 2020, on a cumulative basis, uh, China's going to spend more, or did spend more on R&D than the US did, and I think that surprises people. And if you look at the level of um, Patents being applied for at the moment in China, you know, it's it's the world leader, and this also applies across the the rest of Asia. So what you're seeing is that there's been a considerable move up the value chain. Now this applies to on the manufacturing side, as we just, as we just mentioned, but also within the likes of IT, but also the healthcare sector. And what you're seeing as a result is these fantastic new healthcare stocks coming through. You know, again, predominantly within India and China, um, who are either producing you know, world class drugs. Um, world-class kind of um, healthcare uh, manufacturing products. Uh, and again, they are not only very, very competitive on a, on a national basis, but are also managing to, to um, export a lot of these products as well. So it is interesting because you don't necessarily think of that when you think of investing in Asia, but it is definitely giving a much more um, kind of long-term, uh, high, higher return investment opportunity as these increased levels of R&D continue to move up. Yeah, because we would have seen with our investors when we, again, when we think about Asia is um, we take our leading companies and we sell to sort of Europe and our markets and then we go to Asia as a big area expansion. But it sounds like some of those companies are now becoming the global leaders themselves and doing it in reverse and exporting to sort of Europe and UK and, and US. Are you capturing that trend at all? Com- completely. And you know, what was, what's so exciting about these businesses is not only are the domestic markets, not only do they have you know, huge opportunities, and I, I think the scale of these markets is, is pretty significant, but they're also, because they're becoming such great world leaders, they're also, as you say, exporting to the likes of, of, of Europe and the US. And you know, when we just look at that semiconductor industry as an example, you know, 10 years ago, Samsung and TSMC were pretty poor quality companies. Uh, it was a, a very fragmented industry. It was very volatile. Earnings were very, very cyclical in nature. You roll forward to today, and Samsung and TSMC dominate, absolutely dominate the semiconductor industry. And they're exporting their semiconductor chips, obviously, globally. Um, you've seen that you know, the European and US sectors effectively have been outcompeted. So, so you're absolutely right um, on, on that point as well. But I do think from the what we often forget is just the scale of some of these economies. And what I mean by that is you know, we own a, a snack uh, company in China, which has got a it's a, it's called Zakai. Owns a, it's a it's a root snack company. It's got five billion dollar market cap. It's got about twenty percent market share within its particular um, area. Now we think that's a company which is going to go to forty or fifty percent market share, and also the industry as a whole is going to grow. So that market cap. You know, theoretically, on our calculations, could go from a $5 billion market cap to a $10 or $15 billion market cap. 
What's interesting is imagine trying to find a $15 billion market cap company in the UK or even in the likes of Korea or Taiwan within quite a niche snack area. It would need to have 100% market share in order to try and justify that sort of scale. Whereas in China, the, because of the size of the market, you can find these niche businesses which aren't small, small cap. Uh, they're quite big market cap at the start, but have this great runway for growth because of the scale of the economy. Well, Charlie, that, that sounds like an uh, amazing place to finish. What, what an opportunity we have uh, with your fund there. Great. Thanks very much, Ron. Thank you. And for more information on the Elite Rated 91 Asia Pacific Franchise Funds, please visit our website, fundcaliber.com. And for more from the Investing On The Go podcast, please subscribe via your usual channels. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not be holding these stocks at time of your listening. Mm-hmm.